Okay. Are we ready to get started here? Just for uh, my sake alone, could you all go around and just share your names with me? I'll, I'll probably not remember even the first two, but I'm going to try <laughs> to get to know you guys a little better. So if you could just start and kind of give me your names. Of course, you know, I'm Jane. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate that. I, I really enjoy teaching you guys, and I love being here. And I hope you've had a good day. I've had a pretty good day. And um, if you haven't, I hope it gets better after we have our meeting. <laughs> and that you'll feel um, like you were happy that you came. So, um, well, let's get started with prayer real quick. And um, then we'll, we'll get into the study. Father God, I just thank you for this night. I thank you that um, I was able to overcome this, these sicknesses that I've had for weeks on end. Thank you for getting me back up to speed and allowing me to be here with these ladies and to be able to share in your word. Father, I just thank you that um, your word is full of rich rewards for us. It's full of information that we can um, gain from and live by and participate with. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us and leads us and guides us and teaches us. And so, Father, tonight I just pray that you'll enable him to um, have full reign in each one of our minds. I pray that all the things that have happened that might want to distract us right now will be pushed far, far away from us and that uh, we can be filled, this whole room would be filled with his presence, his life-giving presence, and that we can experience abundant joy in hearing the things that um, you've shown to me this week. Father, I, I pray that you would um, give me the words and uh, the ability to read these stories with the effectiveness that they had in my own heart. And, um, Lord, just teach us. Teach us to be more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're closed in six weeks. Do you guys believe that? It's been six weeks since you've been in this study. And you all feel really different, don't you? You really? <laughs> Actually, I think this has been a great uh, lesson. And I've never done anything where I've examined myself this closely. <laughs> And been honest enough to admit some of um, some of the faults that needed to be admitted within myself as I was doing it. So, thanks for picking it, Crystal. It was really good. Um, and tonight we're closing with asking ourselves this question. So remember this question because this is what I want you you guys to kind of conclude with at your tables when you're working through the worksheet. 
I want us to ask ourselves, how do we really see Jesus and how we live our lives with him? I want us to really ask ourselves that. How do we really see Jesus and how are we living our lives with him? Are we living in faith, in trust? Um, are we truly abiding with him like every minute of our day? And that takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of um, practice and determination. And so I want us to be real honest with ourselves about that because that's the way we become overcomers. That's the way that we are able to have success in the situations that we're put in so often. And tonight I'm going to be reading some stories. Um, and I'm, I'm going to read these stories because these stories, and I'll be giving a lot more examples too from other things. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you're with someone and something's happened and the person that you're with has a totally different response to something that you're both experiencing. And that response is such a God-honoring response that it literally, you just drop your jaw. You just literally look at them and think, what? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what, what makes you think like that? That I've had that happen with these two women that I have been, um, I've read for years. One is Johnny Tata Erickson. Does everybody know that, who she is? Um, she, I'll be reading from her story. Another is Corey Ten Boom. Their stories amaze me. They completely amaze me. I don't know how many times I've read something that they've wrote or I've heard them. I've heard Johnny Erickson talk on a talk show one time and uh, I'll share that with you later on, but I just sat there and thought, how does someone learn how to think like that? How do, how do we, how do we not respond the way, how do I respond? Not respond the way I would respond, but respond with the way that they re respond. And so I find they're very inspirational to me. They, may, they challenge me to stop thinking the way that that I would normally think and take a moment and think is, ask myself, what am, what am I thinking about God at this moment? Am I really thinking good about God at this moment? Or, you know, am I just deserting that and just going with, that's not fair, that's not right, that, you, that's what I would think. But then they come out with something that literally blows your mind and you just think, wow. This person has a very different relationship with God than I have. And it challenges me to want to have that kind of relationship. Because I don't want to act and respond with, because I realized the way I, I responded to something was the wrong way. And so I want to respond the way they want. They, they responded, and I want to know how. And I, so I picked out a couple of stories here, and they helped me to see those Jesus moments where we have an opportunity to reflect who he is. 
and what he's done. And I, before I start that, I, do you guys remember Andrew a couple weeks ago? There was a video about um, the young guy that uh, really struggled with anxiety, and they interviewed him, and he was sharing his story, and he, at the end of his story, he said the way he resolved his anxiety, which, you know, that doesn't mean you're never going to be anxious again. That doesn't mean I'm never going to be mad again. I'm never going to be jealous again. I'm never going to have a hard time responding or doing something wrong. That just means you're learning. You're learning how to do it differently. And the more you practice, the better you'll get at it. But his, his way of resolving it, do you remember what it was? What was it? He dropped his knees. He submitted himself to God every morning. He also admitted that he took some meds, that there really was something chemically wrong with him. There's no shame in that. And we're each going to respond in different ways because we're, we're all different. His, res, his resolving of his situation was to drop, submit himself to Christ, which I think that is a big key, a big key, is that we have to be surrendered. We have to understand that God's ways are better than our ways. God's thoughts are better than our thoughts. We have to think that. And, and I'm, I'm wanting to tell you that I haven't always thought that. You know, sometimes things crop up, and your first thought is not the one that God would have thought. It's more aligned with what Satan might, wanna, might have wanted you to think. It's a dissension and... Um, and, and not good things that are going to create peace. But we're different, and we have the Holy Spirit, and we can do this because of that. So for those of you who don't know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, <clears throat> she, um, she's an author, but she was in her teens when she dove into a lake and broke her neck. And she's been a quadriplegic ever since. And... Um, Right at first, she had a hard time. Uh, in fact, in, and I think I have every book she's wrote because she is so inspirational in her writing. And she talks about how she wanted to die. And she tried to get her friends, convince her friends to help her die, but they wouldn't. And then she finally just surrendered to God and asked him, you know, why, why is this happening to me? And since then, she has made statements like, this chair, I couldn't have done anything that I'm doing today if I wasn't sitting in a wheelchair. I've done more for the glory of God because I'm sitting in this wheelchair. Um, she's dealt with cancer. And honestly, when I heard her say that on a TV program that she, she hosts, I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> See, there was the Jane reaction. Are you kidding me? She's in a wheelchair. She can't move, and you let her have cancer? That, that was my first response. But to hear her talk about it, it gave her more opportunity to share with other people about the love of Christ that she would have never met if she didn't have cancer. I mean, doesn't that just, doesn't that just blow? I mean, that kind of blows my mind. I'm like, there's, there's not really a category in my head for that kind of a response, but I want it, and I want it to be there. Um, but she still sees all of her situations 
as each one is a blessing from God. That's what I want. That's what I want for my life. And so sometimes I read uh, Johnny Erickson Tata and Corey Tenboon over and over again. Because these women have learned through some really hard situations how to think the way that God wants them to think. So I'm going to read you. This, this is about um, a guy that came to one of her Johnny and Friends. She has a group called Johnny and Friends, and a lot of the people that have disabilities come, and they meet together, and they talk through things. And so this guy is there one night, and this, she's at one of her Johnny and Friends meetings. So this is what she has to say. Some time ago at a Johnny and Friends event, I met a man in a wheelchair named Lloyd. He had been in a car accident seven years previous and as a result was left a paraplegic with no use of his legs. As the evening unfolded, I could tell by the expression on Lloyd's face that something was deeply moving him. Just seeing and interacting with other people more disabled than he seemed to be helping his heart. When the event was over, I grabbed the chance to speak with him. Well, he told me, I've been to three healing crusades and this is much more meaningful. I need to get involved in more stuff like this. Lloyd and I had a chance to talk about what happens at healing crusades. I shared that at one time, time years ago, I too had been desperate to get healed. My sister Jay and I heard that Catherine Coleman, a famous faith healer, was coming to Washington, D.C. at the Hilton, in the Hilton Ballroom. Stories had reached us about cancer-ridden people who'd been cured in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at one of her crusades. I wondered if I should go to the healing service in Washington, D.C. One morning, when Jay was putting my legs through my range of motion exercises, Ernest Angley came on television. He was an odd sort of man who wore a bad toupee and ill-fitting suits, and Jay and I enjoyed his antics. My sister and I stopped and watched as people dropped their crutches or got up out of their wheelchairs, many raising their hands and declaring they were free from pain. Do you think God would heal you, Jay asked, staring at the screen. Maybe it is time, I replied. And so, wondering if this might be an answer to the prayers of many, we found our way to the Washington Hilton and the packed healing service in the big ballroom. I remember the night so well. Miss Coleman breezed onto the stage under the spotlight in her white gown, and my heart raced as I prayed, Lord, the Bible says you heal all our diseases. I'm ready for you to get me out of this wheelchair. Please, would you, please? But the spotlight always seems to be directed towards some other part of the ballroom where apparently healings were happening. Never did they aim the light at the wheelchair section where all the hard cases were quadriplegics like me, stroke survivors, children with muscular dystrophy, and men and women sitting stiff and rigid from multiple sclerosis. God answered, and again, his answer was no. After the crusade, I was number 15 in a line of 30 wheelchair users waiting to exit at the stadium elevator, all of us trying to make a fast escape ahead of the people on crutches. I remember glancing around at all the disappointed and quietly confused people and thinking, something's wrong with this picture. Is this the only way to deal with suffering, trying desperately to remove it, get rid of it, heal it? Lloyd asked me, how did you resolve that, Johnny? 
I took a deep breath and sat silent for a moment. Lloyd, I said slowly, I did resolve it. I resolved the issue with one simple Bible verse, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Lloyd shot me a quick look. I knew what he was thinking. It would seem like that kind of verse would be a guarantee of healing. I can read your thoughts, Lloyd, I said with a smile, but let me explain. And so for the remaining time we talked, I reflected on how after that Catherine Coleman crusade, I had embarked on a quest to delight myself in the Lord. I started reading the Bible more and more and praying and asking God to reveal himself. I told him, I asked him to show me his heart, give me his passion for the lost, keep me from temptation, and help me be a better witness. In the process of my pursuit, I just ate God up. I made it my goal to simply delight myself in him, and not with the purpose of holding back on a couple of desires I'd hoped he would quickly fulfill once I delighted myself in him. No, I didn't center on what God could do for me, not how he could please me, but how I could please him. I kept putting my wants and wishes in check and instead made certain my goal was simply to enjoy the Lord being the Lord. And you'll never guess what happened. Lloyd shook his head and didn't try to guess. God gave me the desires of my heart, I said. Lloyd looked at my wheelchair, then back at my face. He was listening very intently. It's true, I said. He really did. The thing was, because I had delighted myself in God, he miraculously replaced my little private list of wants and wishes with a list of his own. His desires became mine. And what are his desires? That the gospel go forth, that the, that the kingdom be advanced, that the earth be reclaimed as rightfully his, that the lost get saved, that his glories be made known. That's when it hit me. Lloyd, my wheelchair was the key to seeing all this happen, especially since God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside, healed from my own self-centered wants and wishes. Doesn't that, doesn't that just leave you just amazed? I just, every time I read that, I think, I need that. I need to transfer all of the things that I want. My prayers need to be different. I need to want what God wants for me and what God wants me for him to be. And I, and I just find that very inspirational. She says it so well, but it even has more power before, behind it for me because she's sitting in a wheelchair she has to be taken care of. She can't, she can't do, well, she can eat and feed herself, but she can't do a lot for herself. She talks about laying in bed at night, and um, at certain times she can't breathe, so her husband has to get up like every two hours and turn her. And yet, this is what she prays, that the lost be saved, that the gospel go forth, that the earth be reclaimed and that his glories might be made known. That, that kind of puts shame to what I'm thinking. 
And so I would say, what would you say was her resolve and her, her attitude at first? What, what helped her? To put God first, to surrender those things that she was holding on to. You got to help me. You got to make me do this. You got to heal me. She put God first and said, what do you want from this? And then she got the desires of her heart. And she's an extremely happy person. If you've ever watched her on television, it's, it's quite amazing. She's always got a smile on her face. And I always think to myself, who handles things like this with such a positively God-honoring idea and way? And what causes them to think with God's purposes? What, what causes them to always think good of God? Because sometimes when we get in situations like this, we don't think good of God. We're always asking, why did this happen to me? And that's a question that says, I don't think this is very good. But she always thinks good of God. Do we always think good of God? We want to. That's what we want to get to. We want to think good of God because God is good. Another one is Corey Tinboon. <clears throat> she and her family had hid Jews in a secret room, and she wrote the book about it, The Hiding Place. Has anybody read The Hiding Place? Great book, isn't it? Well, she ends up, they end up getting caught, and they end up going to the, her family ends up going into the Nazi concentration camps as well. And Corey's more like me in my responses to things, but her sister, Betsy, is not. So she tells these stories. And one of these stories, um, but I'll read this portion of it. Betsy and Corey, um, they have just been transferred from one horrible barracks to another. And, they, and the worst thing is that they thought they were going to be released, but they weren't. And every one of these people that are carrying them, they're, it's inhumane the way they're carried on cattle cars and just pushed up in there. And um, then they get to the place. It's just a wooden slat that they're laying on. The people are always shouting and hollering at them and are angry and cruel to them. So this is what she writes. Betsy and Corey experiencing, experiences thinking they were going to be released but not, and after having arrived at yet another concentration camp, and after a very long and terrible ordeal at getting there, they were once again being treated very horribly with much cruelty, seeing the barracks they were to live in overwhelmed Corey again. Betsy, I wailed, how long will it take? And Betsy's reply, perhaps a long, long time, perhaps many years, but what better way could there be to spend our lives? What? I'm, I'm court, what? What are you saying? I can think of a lot of better ways to live my life than this. I turned to her, I turned to stare at her. Whatever are you talking about? These young women, that girl back at the bunkers. Corey, if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. We must find a way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. 
That's not me. That would not have been me. I would have been thinking the way Corey did. Then she went on, almost forgetting in her excitement to keep her voice down to a whisper, while I slowly took in the fact that she was talking about our guards. I glanced at the matron seated at the desk ahead of us. I saw a gray uniform and a visored hat. Betsy saw a wounded human being. And I wondered, not for the first time, what sort of a person she was, this sister of mine. What kind of road she followed while I trudged beside her on the all too solid earth. That, that's just amazing. Here's another story. This is one of my favorite stories. Um, they've moved to a different um, barracks again. On either side, doors opened into two still larger rooms, by far the largest dormitories we had yet seen. Betsy and I followed a prisoner guide through the door at the right. Because of the broken windows, the vast room was in semi-twilight. Our noses told us first that the place was filthy. Somewhere plumbing had backed up. The bedding was soiled and rancid. Then, as our eyes adjusted to the gloom, we saw that there were no individual beds at all, but great square piers stacked three high and wedged side by side and end to end with only an occasional narrow aisle slicing through. We followed our guide single file. The aisle was not wide enough for two, fighting back the claustrophobia of these platforms rising everywhere above us. The tremendous room was nearly empty of people. They must have been out on various work crews. At last, she pointed to a second tier in the center of the large block. To reach it, we had to stand on the bottom level, haul ourselves up, and then crawl across three other straw-covered platforms to reach the one that we would share with. How many? The deck above us was too close to let us sit up. We lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. We could hear the women who had arrived with us finding their places. Suddenly, I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. We scrambled across the intervening platforms, heads low to avoid another bump, dropped down to the aisle, and edged our way to a patch of light. Here... And here another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us how. I was said, it was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer. Before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning, where, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving, it's a, a long am, I don't know how to pronounce it. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed written expressly to Ravensbrook. Go on, said Betsy. That, that wasn't it. Oh, yes. 
to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me, at the dark, foul-aired room. Such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding on to in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close, that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jam, cram, stuff, pack, suffocating crowds. <laughs> Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas and for the fleas. This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. <laughs> I, lo I love these women. They have such incredible attitudes. They have a real trust of the God that they're serving that he's not doing anything to harm him, them, that he's going to be with them, that he's showing them how to live life seeing it through his eyes. So I was preparing this lesson, and, um, and then I ended up going to the circus. And this is part of what I think God was showing me. So I'm sitting in the circus, and there's this act... Uh, where this husband and wife comes out. Didn't any of you get to go to the circus? <laughs> well, there was this act that this husband and wife act, and he would come out, and there's this teeter-totter in the middle of the room, and he climbs up on a chair, I mean on a ladder, and stands on the top of the ladder, and she stands at this end of the teeter-totter, and the, of course the teeter-totter's up because she's standing down here. He jumps off of the ladder onto the teeter-totter. She gets thrown up the air, does a flip, and he catches her. Just, and and I, I mean, just, it looked like with ease. And I was like, I was astounded. And I was like, I would never do that. Oh, what? That's a crazy thing to do. Then, on top of that, they go back to do it again. This time, their little seven or eight-year-old girl comes out, wraps her arms around the mama's neck, wraps her legs around her waist, and they do it all over again. He jumps off the ladder. She flies up near, does a flip with the little girl in her, hanging on her, and he catches them both. And I was just sitting there, truly amazed, and thinking, how do people do this? How, how do people get to this point where they do it with such ease? And it's, it's so, I mean, they're, they're not even thinking second thoughts about doing it. And it hit me. They practice. They trust one another. They do this together. They keep practicing 
together, and they trust each other. She knows he is going to catch her, so she has no problem doing what she does. And they and that and they're not only trusting each other and practicing it to perfection so that all of us can be entertained by it. They're showing their little girl how to do something dangerous while trusting the other people to be there when she needs them to catch them. And that's the way we need to feel about Jesus. We should be able to do dangerous things knowing he's always going to catch us. And everything's going to look amazing and awesome to the world because he is not letting us down. And so the more we practice trusting him and surrendering to him to, to say, I believe he's going to trust me. He's going to hold me. He's going to make this look good. We're going to live our lives looking more like what Jesus wants us to look like. And I think that takes surrender. Remember Woody this past week, what he did with the chair? How he said, you have to get out of the chair and you have to kneel before the chair because you have to respect the authority of Christ, that he, do, he does have rulership over you and he ought to have rulership over you and we ought to be in that submissive state to receive that and trust that. That's what we need to practice, that surrender, that trust. We got to know him. There are different ways that we can do that. Um, but the biggest way is to, is to know him through prayer, through the reading of his words, through encouraging and being an inspiration to other people. You know, I, I hope that I can be an inspiration to other people, that I can see things through um, praying for them and walking with them and encouraging them that God has not done something to hurt them. God is teaching them something that they might need to perfect. And he teaches us in just enough small doses to where we can really get it so that when a big thing hits us, we're right there and we know we're not alone. And he has got us in his care. So tonight you have sheets on your table. And there's two passages that I want you guys to cover at your table. And when I looked at these passages and I was studying them, I kept asking myself, um, what made the one situation very different from the other situation? Look at who's involved. I want you to look who's involved, what the situation is, why that person you think responded that way, and what happened because of that, them responding that way. And then I want you to, to do exactly what Crystal had put in the beginning of this book, that raw and soap. We're going to do that together and share with one another. Be, be raw about it. <coughs> share about what you have learned about those situations and how you feel about it. Try and put yourself in those same situations. Would you have done what they did? Or if you had watched that, how would that affect you? I want you to ask, ask those questions and be really honest with each other with the, uh, while you're going through these. these uh, so it's Matthew 8, 5 through 13, 
and Matthew 8, 18, 23, and 27. And then um, we'll give you some time. It's 8.09, so we'll give you about, what, uh, 20 minutes? And then I'll come up and close us. Okay? All right.